0: one thing to have an army. It's something else to have an army that's fully ready to roll should the national need arise. The U.S. Army is working to reach higher readiness goals by 2022, but the Government Accountability Office finds it's having difficulty on a number of fronts, including the ability to properly staff up joining me with highlights the GAO's director of defense capabilities and management issues John Pendleton. John, good to have you back.
1: Thank you very much, Tom.
0: So you looked at the fact that the army is trying to reach readiness goals by 2022. I guess maybe we should start by having having you define what the army means by readiness goals for 2022.
1: Well, they they make it a little complicated because they uh it was a classified hearing and their and their goals are actually uh, classified. In general, they want to have around two thirds of the act, the regular army, the active forces, uh, at a high state of readiness. It went about one third for the reserves, you know, and they would be uh, spun up if if needed. And this was actually a classified hearing, but I did an unclassified statement. I I was there with the Secretary of the Army Mark Esper and the Chief of Staff of the Army Mark Milley, who uh, is rumored to be in line for the Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff position. And I summarized our past work since 2016. Now, just stepping back a little bit, we think the Army's on a pretty good path uh, to restoring readiness. They they believe they can meet their goals by around 2022. And while they're in the right direction, I'm skeptical they can meet all the goals. A couple of areas that I have particular concern about is reaching their, the size that they want to be. They've been unable to recruit as many people as they had hoped. And um, and the readiness of support units, the transportation, that kind of thing, many of them in the reserve component are lagging behind as well.
0: And that recruitment issue is a big one because I think they've missed their, their goals for the first time in quite a while. And they have, let's say, adjusted and stretched the standards a little bit in recent years, even to reach those goals. So what's going on there?
1: I think that when we talk to the Army about this, this is some ongoing work we have. We didn't have a... a a recent report on it because it's been kind of a recent phenomenon the way they explained it was that they uh, they had a very aggressive recruiting target this past year and uh, between the strong economy and the fact that I think the army feels like they need to reinvest in some of the recruiting infrastructure and recruiters they just couldn't uh, just couldn't make their their target they're, they're doing some of those things now again we haven't reviewed it but they they tell us they're doing some of those things but they I think, realized they needed to slow their growth. So they had originally planned they would get to um, the increased size. Uh, in a couple of years, they now are saying it'll be in the mid-2020s before they can get to their, their full end strength. They have pl- uh, planned just over a million people for active and reserve.
0: Well, a million – yeah, for active and reserve because the active army yeah, is yeah. – I mean that's determined by Congress each year. And that's something in yeah, – the end in, strength, right. Right. The end strength is something in the half a million – range for regular forces, correct?
1: It is, and I think the recruiting for active forces is the thing that's caused the Army to... They're trying to get over half a million, basically, keep the numbers round. And uh, and they, you know, we're going to get smaller. So they're, um, they're just having trouble growing that fast, bottom line.
0: And beyond the manpower issues, they have a lot of rebuilding to do simply because all of their equipment has been ground down and worn down in 18 or so years in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and a little bit in Syria and so forth. And you found that the repair and modernization is a big holdback, I guess, to this whole readiness effort.
1: It is, Tom. I mean, the Army is now describing equipment modernization as key to readiness rebuilding, and that makes sense to me. That has to do with some of the potential adversaries that we that we might have to encounter. The National Defense Strategy calls out Russia in particular, and they have a lot of capabilities that they didn't have when when some of the Army's gear was built. And so they're talking about modernizing that equipment as fast as possible. We do have some work on that. uh, And we have really pressed the Army to be transparent about what they're spending on modernization and also what they're getting for it. A little concerned that, you know, I mean, we understand the need to modernize, but we want to make sure we get value for money there. And then looking even further forward, the uh, Army's planning some new technology, next generation ground combat vehicle. That kind of thing, among many other things, and we've also reviewed those plans. And while we thought the Army was doing a lot of things right, and they've learned a lot from their acquisition or their well-publicized acquisition failures in the mid-2000s, they are following a lot of leading practices um, for, like, setting up the concepts and that kind of thing. We just don't want them to rush into things and uh, get the cart in front of the horse and end up um, you know, buying something that they can't use.
0: We're speaking with John Pendleton, Director of Defense Capabilities and Management Issues at the Government Accountability Office. And I guess there's always the tension between size of the army and many people say, many of the critics say that there's a certain quality in quantity. But if they're not going to have a million-person army that can be deployed, maybe it's only 500,000 that are deployable in a large-scale effort, then you need greater lethality through technology. And they've had some failures there. I mean, what about the basic networking of devices and and weapon systems such that they have more effectiveness from, from a distance away?
1: They're they're looking at a lot of concepts. We have some ongoing work now looking at something the Army calls the multi-domain operations or multi-domain concept. And the idea here is that I think the Army is realizing a couple of things. One, they may not be able to mass forces close to a conflict like they have in the past because, honestly, adversaries can kind of reach out and, and touch them, uh, fly a rocket into the middle of formation or something, which is not ideal. And then also I think the Army's realizing that there could be other complications. Cyber's the one that everybody knows about, uh, that someone might be uh, you know, poking around in your system. And then you might also want to use offensive cyber as part of a multi-domain uh, effort. They very often view cyber as a, as a fire, like artillery or something. And, and and this is for the more long range planning obviously and we've got some ongoing work looking at that now so i think networking is very important but i think the army's correct to realize that it's going to have to operate in new domains uh, you know everyone's going to have to be connected space everyone's going to have to make sure their 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 gears working their computerized gears working and you're going to need to be able to integrate those kinds of operations into what's happening on the ground so a lot's happening as you look to the future form
0: and then there's the training issue, which you have listed as training for potential large-scale conflict. And I guess that's the stand-in phrasing for Russia or China. And it seems maybe far-fetched, but who knows? I mean, the world is changing quickly on the, on the foreign relations front. So what are they trying to achieve there and what do they mean by that? Because that sounds expensive in the long term, being ready for large-scale Conflict.
1: It is. The, the, you know, the National Defense Strategy, I mean, there's an unclassified version of it, and it's quite clear that, you know, the military is, is focused on uh, such large-scale conflict. And, and the thing you have to understand about the Army is that for 15 years, they were basically in the business of preparing to deploy for a counterinsurgency-type fight or, you know, uh, some other thing that's less than large-scale combat, still dangerous. But didn't require the same kind of integrated movement and other things that that you might have to deal with. So what they've done is they've gotten the the demands are still high on the army, but they've gotten some space, and they've been running the brigades through the combat training centers in Louisiana and California, and increasingly over in Germany. Uh, but it is and it is expensive to to do this. But this is you know what the military does. They train in peacetime, uh, hopefully in order to deter war. I think the training has, has come along, uh, and I think the, uh, for the listener, what they need to sort of realize is that this is a m- moving big units uh, in an integrated fashion against a capable adversary is a far more difficult task. And I think that sort of broader training is something that all the services are going to have to contemplate as they move forward, even the Air Force and the Navy, I think, is, you know, who probably have deeper readiness challenges than the Army at the current moment. But, uh, yeah, I think preparing for that is is quite clearly the national defense strategy. What that's going to cost is another matter we'll have to wait and see. The military says getting increased budgets and stable, predictable funding is the key to them being able to rebuild.
0: And that's really, of course, outside anyone's control except for the magic 535.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: John Pendleton is Director of Defense Capabilities and Management Issues at the Government Accountability Office. As always, thanks so much. You bet, Tom. Thank you. We'll post a link to his report and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com/slash federal drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.